Listener Production. Hey, Tom Tilly with you. In this episode of The Briefing, we're talking scams. Now, since the text message delivery scams during COVID to the Hey Mum WhatsApp message scams, the scammers are now taking it to a whole new level. The business and email scams where a fraudster will impersonate a supplier or a senior staff member through getting into their email system and then request money to be sent to a fraudulent account. In this episode, you'll find out about some of the latest scams, which ones to watch out for, and also we'll discuss what should be done to protect us. First, today's headlines with our news producer, Eleanor Harrison Dengate. It is Friday, February 17. Last year's fatal police shooting in Queensland's been labelled a religiously motivated terrorist attack. A police investigation has revealed more details about the deliberate premeditated attack, which was motivated by a Christian religious movement known as premillennialism. There was a belief that Christ will return to the earth for a thousand days and provide peace and prosperity, but it will be preceded by a period of time of tribulation, destruction and suffering. Deputy Commissioner Tracy Linford there. So the ambush at the Weambilla property resulted in the deaths of two police officers mm. and a neighbour, Alan Dare. Um, police believe the trains were preparing for the end of days and they're saying that actually Stacey Train's diaries have really revealed an insight into just how extreme the trio were with their hatred for police and government. Yeah, it's interesting to learn more about this attack. I mean, that general belief about Christ returning and the thousand days of prosperity, that's a widely held belief, but not many people take it to this extreme and obviously um, go to this sort of extent with the violence. Um, this investigation has also revealed just the extent of their preparation. There were barriers, dirt mounds, logs, bows and arrows, knives, CCTV, radios, mirrors on trees, a trapdoor under the house, um, and as we know, there were also a, a range of other conspiracy beliefs they held, including COVID and vaccine conspiracies, um, which was part of the reason they lost their jobs and went into this downward spiral. Um, police are also investigating to see if there's any links between the trains and anyone in America. So the FBI is, is working on that too. I guess it's also interesting that this is the first Christian extremist attack in Australia. Mm. Like we've had, um, obviously, the Islamic one um, with the Lint Cafe. But mm. yeah, I just found that interesting. In a tragic update, the two mine workers who were inside a vehicle that plunged down a North Queensland zinc mine have died. The bodies of 33-year-old father of two, Dylan Langridge, and 36-year-old Trevor Davis were found yesterday afternoon after an extensive search and rescue operation. The pair had been 125 metres underground on Wednesday morning when the ground suddenly gave way, causing them to fall 15 metres into a void with a 30-tonne drill rig also falling in. What a terrifying situation. The driver of that drill rig did manage to escape, which is good news, but sadly these two men have lost their lives. And, you know, in a small mining community like Cloncurry, near where this happened, that's a town mm. of just 3,000 people, everyone's going to feel this and all those other men and women going out to work in mines in that area, probably mines right around the country, especially underground mines, mm. um, will be thinking about these two men and what's happened. So an investigation's been launched and mine operations at the site are still suspended. And 25 Australian disaster experts are going to New Zealand after Cyclone Gabriel ripped through the country on Sunday. At least five people are dead and thousands have been displaced by flooding and storm damage. 
Entire towns are being cut off, farms washed away, homes have been inundated and some people have had to be, or hundreds of people actually, have been um, winched to safety by military helicopters and there's more rain on the way in these already flooded areas. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen any of, uh, I guess, some of the social media videos that are coming out about mm. the um, about the disaster, but just crazy seeing these helicopters that are practically landing on, on nothing to be able to pull some people out. It's absolutely crazy stuff. Yeah, and they already had flooding around Auckland um, just a couple of weeks ago. So um, people in that northern part of New Zealand have been doing it really tough over the last month. And the unemployment rate has gone up. Um, from a record low of 3.5% up to 3.7%, meaning 11,500 people have lost their jobs. So this is widely interpreted as rising interest rates starting to bite on the economy. Um, the RBA and the Treasury actually have forecast the unemployment rate will end up at 4.5% um, sometime next year after all the rate rises. So this is the other side of the rate rise equation, Eleanor. Um, we've talked a lot about mortgage holders doing it tough because their borrowing costs have gone up, but this also means that borrowing costs for business also go up and then they have to start cutting costs um, to pay their interest bills, which means often cutting jobs. Um, so this is another way that the, the inflation and interest rate problem has big consequences for people's lives. You know, in this case, you can quantify it. 11,500 lives have been affected. Those people don't have work anymore and there'll be more of that to come uh, as they keep increasing interest rates and pushing the unemployment rate up to about 4.5%. We'll catch you later, Eleanor. Katrina's about to join me with a crazy scam story. So, Katrina, a friend of yours got done really badly by a very complex scam. Tell us about it. Yeah, this is really awful. So, a friend's dad who, I mean, he's a university professor, so a really, really smart guy. Um, he got contacted by people he thought were from his bank and they were telling him that his account had been compromised and hacked and so he needed to move his money across. And it started with small amounts and then obviously bigger and bigger amounts. But you know, as I said, smart guy. The reason he thought that this was legit is they gave him a special phone number to ring and any time, day or night, people were on the other end of that line sounding professional, answering as though they were from the bank. He got correspondence that looked like it was from the bank. So it all looked hugely legit. It ended up being nearly half a million dollars out of their retirement fund. It took him so long to even confide in my friend, his daughter, he, he couldn't even tell his wife because he just felt so ashamed. Uh, they ended up getting some of that money back, but certainly not all of it. But it just goes to show that even if you're a super smart person, mm. some of these scams are so sophisticated. Yeah, especially for the older generation, I'm finding like we've had some really close calls in, in our family. Um, we nearly got done by the Hey Mum scam, or we did get done, but then stopped the payment. Um, that's the WhatsApp scam. And then also often calling my dad pretending to be, you know, someone fixing the internet service and then getting inside the computer and starting transactions. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That's it's, scary. It's crazy. And I heard of another one recently where a man was about to transact $195,000 to a farming supplier. And then, you know, in the middle of that communication, 
um, there was an email that said it was a different bank account and he put it into the wrong bank account. So this is a new kind of scam. So there's new, more complex, mm. and the, the one you just told is, is just totally off the hook. These new methods and and targets and whole fake infrastructures they set up to pull these scams off. And it's evolving all the time. And you think, if only these people use their powers for good, they could really change the world. But sadly for now, they are not. So we have with us Professor Steve Worthington from Swinburne Uni. He is an expert on how scammers work. Uh, he's also going to tell us a bit about this latest push for more consumer protection. He joins us on the briefing now. It seems for a lot of people that Scams really went to another level during the pandemic with a lot of the delivery scams. But since then, they've gone to a whole nother level where it feels like we're completely under siege at the moment. Tom, I think that's exactly right. Um, Scamwatch will tell us that the average loss in Australia is $1 million a day. Now, that sounds an awful lot, but I think that's actually very, very underestimated. Apparently, Scamwatch also tell us only 13% of scams are reported to them. What my view on that is that, that when people are scammed, there's a lot of embarrassment and shame about that. And also there's no confidence that by reporting it, they'll ever get any action or indeed any remuneration. Plus, I'd add in the big picture that uh, fraudsters are very clever. They're often the, the epitome of a successful business model. They've got strategy people, market research, operations, flexible workers. The speed of reorganization uh, or organizational realignment and speed of pivot, as they say, is very good. And they're getting some new products out and they follow the money. To me, one of the ones that's recently blown my mind, and I think it emerged sort of around that time when we were all Christmas shopping, were retailers, online retailers that looked exactly like the big brands. So we're talking major brands like Forever New, Country Road. These online sites looked identical and yet they were complete dupes. That made me quite scared to shop online. What what other sophisticated new scams are you seeing? Hmm. Okay, well, let's start again with the really good ones, really big ones. Uh, that's the business and email scams where a fraudster will impersonate a supplier or a senior staff member through getting into their email system and then request money to be sent to a fraudulent account. For example, uh, you could have your bank telling you that your uh, your account has been compromised and therefore you must move your money to a different account or indeed impersonating conveyances to send the settlement money for a new property to a new account. You know, those are really big numbers there where people impersonate one of your suppliers, one of the people you're dealing with, and you then ask to send money to their account. Of course, uh, that money then goes straight to uh, an overseas bank or indeed into cryptocurrencies. So that's a really interesting one. I've heard a few examples like that where they're able to get involved in a transaction as it's happening or in a middle stage of a transaction and somehow change the bank account that that money's about to be sent to? They break into or get someone, lets them in by accident often into an email system, say let's say it's a solicitor or a business, and then they're tracking what's happening in a particular situation. They wait until it's time to settlement on a property or to pay a huge uh, supplier bill, whatever, an invoice, mm. and then the message comes through, we've changed our bank account, please send the money to, and it looks incredibly authentic, just like uh, we were saying there about online retailers. There is no way that you can safeguard yourself against this, or is there? (laughs) 
there's no simple uh, you know solution to that. I think you just have to try to be very very alert, both as a an organisation and indeed as an individual. And you know, in those situations, if if suddenly someone tells you they've changed your account or they want you to transfer money to a new account, you need to stop there and then contact your supplier or the person you're dealing with and say, "Have you really changed your account here?" Steve, what's another brazen example you've heard of recently? Identity theft. There's now lots of uh, younger generation users of social media and they overlook the downside of readily sharing their personal information. So we have lots of what we call you know, SMS fitting and spoofing. You receive a text message from your bank, sometimes from the tax office, Australia Post, MyGov, a personal delivery organisation. And this is when you're asked then to click on a link and bingo. And they're then requesting money from you or saying that there's something needs sorting out and transfer money. So what else could our banks do? Because all of these scams involve our banks. You wouldn't be scammed unless some some money was transacted that you didn't want to be transacted. Looking at the UK, they have a different code where banks have to reimburse some people. And about three or four years ago, they also brought in a, a name check technology on on transactions. So tell us about what's happening overseas and whether we should be doing some of that here. There's a thing in the UK called a confirmation of PE, uh, which was introduced in 2019. And this means to reduce accidentally misdirected payments. The banks check the name of the PE's account against the details given by the payer. So I'm a payer, I'm trying to transfer some money, maybe fraudulently to uh, settle a, a property deal. They'll check the, de- the name and the account that I'm transferring it to, to make sure it's a valid, true account. And that puts the onus on the banks to check that this is not a fraudulent transaction. Do you think that's where the onus should lie? Or, or should we be taking a little more personal responsibility of checking, triple checking, before we engage in these transactions? The answer would be a bit of both, really. We need, to, we need to be on our guard and aware of what's going on. But at the same time, we need the system, if you like, the banks and the, the regulators to actually understand that this is an epidemic that's going to get bigger and bigger. And if we're not careful, we'll be, you know, some people will be very, very um, disadvantaged by the fact that they've fallen for a scam. Is there also more onus on UK banks to actually reimburse um, their clients for scams than there is here in Australia? There definitely is, and that's another feature of that particular regulatory uh, request, that uh, to introduce mandatory reimbursements for scam victims. Obviously, that's a very complex area where uh, you need to be aware that that there has to be a a genuine request for reimbursement. But nevertheless, in the UK, yes, they're talking about mandatory reimbursements. Mm. We've got quite a pushback from Australian banks, uh, the big four banks, on doing that here. How likely do you think it is that we will see something similar here in Australia? I would hope that it's very likely. I mean, as the number of scams escalates and and the clever uh, fraudsters get bigger and better, if you like, there's going to be more and more scams going on. And I think unless we do something about it, it, there'd just be no end to it, really. So it's something that needs to be attended to by whoever wants to be the regulator on this. And there are some good examples of the UK being one of what's happened in other countries, which we can model ourselves on. It's a tricky one, because as you've said, part of the responsibility is on us. So I think it's tough to mount an argument that the banks should pay for all of our mistakes. But on the other hand, if the banks did have to reimburse all the money that was scammed from us, 
it would really incentivize them to do as much as possible from their end to stop it from happening. Well, that's, that's, that's exactly the point, I think. It, it's the parrot and the stick, isn't it? And that would really be the stick there, where you're saying, OK, you've got to improve yourselves, uh, otherwise there'll be punishments, whatever, yeah. So I think that's something that the bank, I mean, Commonwealth Bank the other day introduced a particular, some measures which come into into effect, I think, next month. But in a way, it's, 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 this has to be a collective thing between the banks in the plural, because one just one bank doing it is not really going to be that helpful. It needs to be something that comes into the whole system. That's Professor Steve Worthington from Swinburne University. It does, the more we talk about this, Katrina, make me realise that the real weak point here is the transaction we make through our bank accounts. And mm. that also, I guess, provides the, the best glimmer of hope for how we could make some changes that stop us getting scammed. And, you know, the main thing is really is to somehow, before you make any transaction, to, to triple check it's going to the right bank account, mm. you know, corresponding to the person you want to pay the money to. That name check technology, which they already brought in in the UK, which the Commonwealth Bank recently announced they'll do here in Australia, that seems like a really important step in the right direction. If, you know, you can do it manually, just call the person and and double check, make sure this is their bank account. But if we could somehow build some technology that essentially efficiently does the same thing, that could help a lot. Yes, definitely. I am all for that. I'm really interested in in the idea of banks having to pay up more when this goes wrong because, um, as I mentioned in that chat with Steve, if if the banks are more incentivized to sort this stuff out, as in it'll cost them when things go wrong, they'll think harder and harder and innovate more and more to find ways of stopping this from happening and that would be a good thing too. The only thing is that as part of that innovation, too often, and I know that there's a reason for this, but they often employ scammers as uh, the new experts, so they bring the enemy within, uh, which on the one hand is genius, on the other hand, I hate that these people are now getting paid for their evil genius. All right, that is it for your Monday to Friday briefing. Thank you so much for listening on the weekend. You get your weekend briefing with Jamila. Jamila, who have you got on this week? This weekend, I have had a conversation with Aaron Faso, who is, of course, a film producer, director, screenwriter, actor. You'll know him from The Straits and Black Comedy. He also played professional rugby for the Canterbury Bulldogs in his earlier career. He has written a memoir, and I find that really interesting because Aaron is just 47, and something he's told me is that many of his friends and family have experienced early death. And he wanted to write this memoir because life expectancy for First Nations men in Australia is just 55. And it means that First Nations men never know how long they're going to have. This was a really interesting conversation, sometimes quite dark, sometimes quite funny. And I think everyone will get a lot out of listening to it. All right, that is your weekend briefing with Jamila Rizvi. Um, big thank you to the hardworking briefing team, executive producer Dan Mullins, news producer Eleanor Harrison-Dengate, um, news producers Helen Smith, Nicole Castles, social media Sarah Boll, Poppy Manzi, and our editor Matt Kuzkari. Listener.